0: Welcome, 11 o'clock. How exciting that you've joined us online. And after the worship, you'll be going to the campus that you selected. And I'm delighted. We've got a lot going on at Willow Park Church. Today, of course, is Halloween. Not my favourite day, I'll be honest. Its root goes all the way back to uh, Roman cultish activity, when they used to dress up and and hide their faces so the spirits wouldn't recognize them. Then, of course, it was adopted by Celtic traditions and then later revived when those uh, Celtic peoples went to the North Americas and it was revived and Halloween became a big family event, of course, which it is today. But we are praying for our city tonight at 5.30. You can join us online or you can come to uh, Highway 33, and at 5.30, we're doing a worship service at Halloween, and we are going to pray for our city. At the same time, we are also praying and battling in prayer, and we are doing our trunk-and-treat events, where we're engaging with the community, communicating what's going to be happening at Christmas, letting people know all that is taking place. Um, We're going to do uh, spiritual warfare, if you like, and mission at the same time. So, where are you? Are you volunteering on mission, or are you going to join us in the prayer? Don't forget, set your phones, your alarms, your day timers for five thirty to come and to pray. That we'll see God move, and we'll pray for our city in this way. So, welcome. Let me pray as we begin, Father. Thank you. Thank you that we can celebrate your goodness. And Father, we pray that you will come and encourage us, that you will surround us in your goodness. And as we look at your word in Colossians, explore the truths of the supremacy of Christ, I ask, Lord, that you would bless us and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning, Willow Park Church. Lovely to have you with us today. We're going to be praising our God. We're going to sing some songs that talk about us surrendering to God and remembering that he is the one who wins our battles for us. So we're going to talk about do what you want to, that we are going to surrender everything to God, that the battle belongs to God, and that in Christ alone, our hope is found. So join with us and find our hope in Jesus.
2: for. Do what you want to, God, we love to see you do. Do what you want want to. to, do what you want to. Yeah, yeah. What you want to. that as
1: we sing this song we will give all our battles and all our fights to you all the things that we are struggling with whether it's personal, in our own walk, and temptations that we're struggling against or whether it's something else, finances or a job situation family difficulties Lord we give all our battles to you the battle belongs to you. You have the victory. And so we wait and see for our salvation
2: comes from you. And all I see is the bad You see my victory. see a mountain move and as I walk through the shadows your love surrounds me there's nothing to fear now for I am safe with you let's make this our prayer So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you Every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you Amen. to you, every fear I lay at your feet, I've seen through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you, almighty fortress, you go before us,
1: This song is called, In Christ Alone My Hope is Found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Maybe you're struggling to find some solid ground today. Well, this is God's promise to you, that He is your cornerstone, He is your firm foundation, He will not let you down. He will be with you constantly. And we stand on him.
2: In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my own. Stand. in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith. done you.
1: you that we stand in your victory we surrender to you the battle belongs to you and you won (laughs) you defeated sin and death and hell and because of that we can stand firm on you our cornerstone and trust in christ alone for your glory and for our good bless your name amen
0: there's a lovely verse as we prepare for communion. And this verse is in Colossians two, thirteen and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. Think about those words. As you hold the bread. And remember that we were bankrupt. We could never pay back the IOU. The creditors were after us. Spiritually, we were lost. We were sinners. We were condemned. But all of that debt, spiritual debt, was nailed to the cross. And that's one reason we do set free. Because we have to activate the power of the cross. We have to activate what Christ achieved within our lives. Because we know that we do carry damage. He has won the war. But the battlefield of our hearts can often be full of barbed wire perhaps unexploded bombs, perhaps mines, that if you step on me in the wrong way or say something, suddenly I react. Because we need to nail our flesh and we need to die to ourselves. And every time we come to communion, we're actually saying that, Lord, I confess my sins. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived, but I thank you that my debt has been paid. That Christ died for us and gave himself up for us. So Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your body, which is broken for us. And we remember that you, your flesh was stripped. Your body was broken so that I could become. Your child, the body of Christ, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. In the same way he took the cup, saying this is the blood of my new covenant that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it. In remembrance of him. Lord thank you for the beauty of communion and thank you for the power of this verse that we have been saved and he has taken away and nailed it to the cross. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, let's find out what's going on across our network with the news. But let me remind you that tonight is a very dark night. It's Halloween. And you can either be involved in our outreaches with Trunk or Treat, or why don't you join us online or in person at 5.30 for Willow One Prayer. And let's worship and let's pray for our city. Let's be watchmen on the wall.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Curtis and I am the pastor for seniors here at Willow Park Church. Here is your family news for this week. Tonight we have two exciting things happening here at the church. The first one is for the kids. Invite your friends and neighbors to Trunk or Treat, a safe, family-friendly event happening right here at our mission location tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. For everyone else, we hope you'll join us at Willow One Prayer online and at our Rutland location at 5.30pm. Coming up November 5th and 6th at our Rutland campus is our next Set Free Retreat. Do you ever struggle to experience lasting change in certain areas of your life? At Set Free, you will learn to identify those areas and discover through teaching and listening prayer how Jesus can give you lasting freedom. This retreat is for everyone and you can attend by yourself or with a friend. Registration is free and you can sign up on our website. I'm really looking forward to another event coming up on November 15th. It's called Worship One and here is Pastor Zach to tell you all about it.
0: Thanks Curtis. Hey Willow Park family. I've got some exciting news for all the worship and production volunteers. We are starting a new event called Worship One. See what I did with the name there? Willow One Prayer, Worship One. And we're coming together all the campuses. So if you're at Lake Country or if you're at the South or you're at the 33 location and you serve in the worship or production ministry, on November 15th, we're doing a Worship One event from 7 to 9 p.m. at the 33 location. I would love for you to come. It's a chance to hear my testimony this time. And I'm also going to share some of my heart for the ministry Uh, and our vision moving forward. So if you serve, I would love to see you there November 15th, 7 to 9.
3: If you think you may have missed something, don't worry. Subscribe to our email updates on our website, and we will send you all the details after the Sunday morning service. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week.
4: I invite you to stand. I know you just sat down. Colossians 2 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done with the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood oppressed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross.
5: Thank you so much. You may take your seats. Thank you, Hannah. Well, good morning again. It's my joy to uh, welcome everybody online, and uh, we're so thankful that you continue to join us each week. There's a lot of our church who are still uh, choosing to be involved in that way, and we're very grateful for that. And for those of you just arriving, a special welcome to you as well. I need to give you a little... Oh, first of all, I need to give you a very f- important announcement that we have a new baby. I'm hoping they're watching. A new baby was born into our church family. Uh, the Careys, Johnny and Brianne Carey, who have been in the church a couple of years. Uh, a little girl a week or so ago, Sophia Ann Carey. And uh, so can we give them a big round of applause for that? Um so guys, we love you, and we're looking forward to meeting your bundle of joy. She's got a shocking red, shocking as good way, shocking red hair. That's what you say about red hair, right? Or Anyway, she's beautiful. I've seen pictures. So well done, both of you, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's it's wonderful. I need to give you a little bit of a storm's warning this morning. Um, this scripture, I am so excited about preaching about this scripture because it's got elements in it that just make me so joyful and rejoicing in what God has done, whether you are young or whether you are not so young, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're somebody exploring. Christianity, whether you are somebody who you would say, well i 'm not quite where I used to be, wherever you are on that spectrum in your journey spiritually, then I 'm really, really glad that you are here. We are all about trying to ask the Bible some big questions, and then being open and keeping our minds open as to what the answers might be, rather than as following uh, our thoughts we, in terms of well, our experience or our thoughts. To actually go where the evidence leads us is really important. I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel like... Um, oh, I need to get through these scriptures that, that Hannah wrote. I feel like, like the Genesis song... Well, I'm, I feel like I'm living in the land of confusion. Those of you who remember that song, can I just have a show of hands? Thank you. Just an amazing song. I listened to it again. this It's such a great song. Um, I really am. I feel like I'm a perpetual state of confusion in our culture. Just when I think that nothing can surprise me, something surprises me, uh, just when I think that, uh, that I think things are going to calm down, they don't, um, our world is filled with voices that are saying, come follow me, I'll show you how to live the good life, I'll show you how life can be lived well, and then I see actually that doesn't end well, and we're going to see in this passage, ultimately, can end in death, maybe not physical death, but certainly spiritual death and i and i and i look at this confusion and i wonder where where is it taking us where do we go from here as christians and all of colossians is about lifting up jesus as the answer to our culture's problems. Even though this is a book that was written thousands of years ago, Paul, the writer of Colossians, and he wrote this book from prison. And as I've said before, this is not a nice prison. This is a Roman prison where, as we heard last week from Nick, you didn't even get food. Food had to be delivered to you, you hope. He wrote this incredibly uplifting book to a new church, a church plant, if you like, in Colossae that was in the middle of a culture that was pluralistic. And and what I mean by that is they took lots of different bits and tried to mold together a religion that fit themselves as long as it didn't overshadow the religion of Rome. And really, we're in the very similar place. that It's fine if you, if you want to follow Jesus, that's okay. But don't make it the most important thing in your life. Just add it to everything else that's going on and you'll be fine. And so we can lean into this passage and think, okay, what has this got to do with me in this land of confusion? Because truly, we really do live in a world that is incredibly confused. When I was around about 10 years old, um, my mom and dad, many of you know them well, love dogs. And the, the dog of choice at that moment was a Great Dane. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever owned a Great Dane. But Great Danes, by, by necess- necessity of their name, are great. They're massive. And Monty, his name, which I think is a great name for a Great Dane, um, he was a big Great Dane to boot. He was just huge. And he had a beautiful nature and he had a lovely gentle heart. Although when you're that big, it doesn't matter how gentle your heart is, if you have a Great Dane thundering towards you, then you you kind of tuck and roll. Uh, But he was very, very clumsy. He didn't really, wasn't able to run in a straight line. And the main reason for that is because Great Danes maybe still are bred with a very small heart. And so unfortunately over the years, that's the way they've been bred. And so you're not meant to let them off the leash. But if you do, then buckle up because they get very excited and there's lots of Monty-shaped elbows and legs and it's, just, it's chaotic. Monty was a chaotic dog. He really was. He wasn't allowed in the house. He lived in the back of the garage uh, or garage. For those of you who need a translation, uh, he, had a, he had a big bed in the back of our garage, and there was a side door into our yard, which he could come in and out of, and, and it was kind of, we had it as a split level door, and he, he was great. The odd time he was allowed in the house, my mum had a regime for Monty, and he knew it really well. He would come into our back door, and he would immediately sit and wait. And my mom would then get a, a rag or a, a cloth and she would, she would lift up one jowl and wipe the inside. And then lift up the other jowl and wipe the other inside because we noticed that Monty, when he... And some of you have dogs, I'm not going to look at anybody in the room who can relate to this. If he would flap his head back and forth, we'd end up with Monty's spit literally on the ceiling because everything about Monty was great. He was a brilliant dog. He loved everybody, apart from one person. And we called him the Colonel. Because the Colonel would walk along the bottom of our yard. There was a public pathway. And our fence was about this big, just high enough for Monty to get his legs on. In fact, he could do it on your shoulders. And he would, he would enjoy watching who was going by. And most people he loved, apart from the Colonel. The reason we called him the Colonel is because he would walk... His chest out morning, he would be very like that, and he would walk along. And most of the time, Monty was chained up or is in the garage, and he'd be like, Morning, Monty. Monty hated this guy. But because he never actually was able to get to him, everything was fine. And he would yell somewhat nervously, yes, Monty and I are friends. <laughs> and he'd walk, and he'd kind of speed up, because I think he knew Monty hated him. One day, Monty wasn't chained up. One day, the back gate was open. Monty got into the back path, and I had to check. So I had this memory in my mind. I actually asked my mom and dad about this a couple of weeks ago. Did this happen? And the answer was yes, and I'm so grateful. Because the Lord put this into place for this moment for me to share it <laughs> to, for you. Monty got out and very gently, but very firmly, got hold of the colonel's arm. Not, not piercing skin. And then proceeded to lead him into our backyard. With his, And then he took him into his bed. <laughs> he actually took this guy, trotting, <laughs> and followed Monty into his bed. Because Monty's like, I've had enough of you. I'll take you to my bed and I'll save you for later. I don't know. What, whatever it might be. This colonel was being led. A very confused man was being led by a very powerful animal into a place that he didn't actually intend to end up in. He didn't get up that morning going, you know what, I'm going to go and sit in a great Dane's bed this morning. It's going to be great. He actually ended up in a place, and, uh, and I actually don't know the end of the story. He might still be there. I don't know. I don't think so. I should ask my mum and dad about that, because I was laughing too hard to actually find that out. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. A very confused man didn't end up in a place that he expected to be. And I feel like our culture is exactly the same. I feel like our culture grabs us by the arm, leads us into a place, sometimes slobbering as they go, covered in Monty spit, and leaves us in a place where we go, actually, I didn't end up wanting to be here when I started out. I had other dreams. I had other thoughts. I had other plans. I had other values. I had made other decisions. I never thought that that decision would lead me to this place. But here you're sat, confused, covered in Monty spit, wondering how you got there in the first place. But you were slowly led, but you were led. And I feel like the culture, sometimes almost you can't even feel it, takes us by the arm and leads us away. All you have to do, and I've said this before, is get up in the morning for that leading to happen. But being led will happen to you. And Colossians is a, a book that gives us warning about what happens when we we're led away and how we can actually resist that. Because friends, and I say this very, permanent, uh, very uh, assuredly and very forcefully, especially if you are a youth or young adult here this morning, that you are at war. Our culture is fighting for your mind, is fighting for your attention, is fighting for your love. And you will slowly, it doesn't matter actually your age, but especially if you're young, you will slowly but surely be led into a place that in 30, 40 years' time, you might be sat in a bed going, I don't know how I got here. That is our culture. And we are at war because it's a war of the mind, This land of confusion. Our world is filled with doctrines and philosophies and paradigms. Paradigms are the ways of thinking that are completely at odds with one another. It's confused. And then in the middle of this, we have to stand, we have to make decisions as to where our values lead. And we believe that if we just make the right decision, that somehow we won't end up in Monty's bed. We'll actually end up in a place where we want to be. But actually what happens is you just drift and you find that you're in a place where you didn't intend to be in the first place. Our world is confused because it's got paradigms and philosophies that are at odds with another. Let me just give you one example. Our whole Western democracy is built on the idea of flourishing within human rights And humans flourishing. That's our whole Western democracy. That's what we fight for. Whether it be social justice, care for one another, protecting one another. You will not find a Western government that is uninterested in trying to create human flourishing. That is the core of what our democracy is about. It might not happen, but at least the underlying paradigm and worldview is there. At the same time, Christianity, as a, as a following Jesus, is completely rejected. So on one hand, you've got social justice, care for one another, human flourishing. And on the other hand, you've got, I'm going to reject Christianity. Because they're seen as odds to one another. And in many ways, it's true, Christianity in our culture is at odds with no, odds at one another. But the confusion is this. So just, just stick with me for a second. The confusion is this. It is an inarguable fact that human rights and flourishing is a thoroughly Christian initiation and philosophy. Caring for the poor, Christianity started that. Social justice, Christianity started that. Education, Christianity started that. Hospitals, Christianity started that. Adoption, Christianity started that. There was Christians in the early church who would go to the local dumps where children had been dumped and left because there was no such thing as abortion at that point. What they would do is take live babies and just leave them to die. Christians were there waiting to get those babies to bring them into their homes and adopt them. Adoption was started by Christians. Human flourishing is a completely Christian initiation and philosophy. So you have two opposing forces at war. On one hand, you have the secular da- Darwinian evolution based atheism that says we don't need God, and on the other hand, you've got Christianity who says we're going to follow Jesus, and these two opposing forces are battling it out. And it makes no sense because you can't have survival of the fittest and a cure for cancer, can you? Because the weak will just die off. Who cares? Is what evolution says, is what Darwin says. The weak are just going to die off. So why is it built into humans where we want to see human flourishing, where we want to see a cure for cancer, we want to see the poor served, we want to see uh, the people looked after and loved, and yet at the same time that is totally opposite to the worldview that we have, that it's evolution and Darwin and Christianity has got nothing to do with it. It's confusing. It makes no sense. So our very confused world are doing these things despite their philosophical worldview, not because of it. Now, if I've lost you, rewind and listen to all that again online. The basic premise is this: is our world says one thing, does one thing, but thinks a completely different one. So the philosophy is, let's look for after one another while believing, let's just let the needy die off. It makes no sense. It's confusing. So we're in this middle of this battle, and it's a battle for the mind. In the middle of a confusing world. And Paul describes this battle and shows us where this victory is won. And so we're going to step into this. In the middle of a confusing world, how do we as Christians actually live our our lives in a way that we don't end up in a place where we didn't actually start off planning to be? In verse 8, Paul said this of this passage in Colossians chapter 2 that Hannah read for us earlier on. See to it. That no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That is everything I've just said. We live in a world that is seeking to uh, capture your thoughts, and that's a military term by the way, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. So Paul is saying, look, the ideas of the world are hollow, they're deceptive, they're confusing, and they will take you captive. The promise of the world will take you captive. Those things that you think and I think our culture thinks will actually bring you the good life will ultimately capture you. And the Bible says, enslave you. So what we, truth, what we worship actually captures us. This word captive is a word of war. We're at war. And this war is not going to be won in your mind or in the mind of the church or in the mind of our Christian culture. It's not going to be won by us just being apathetic in our vision and our faith. We have to step in and we have to do something. Because look, Paul says, see to it. See to it. Make sure that no one takes you captive. Because if you do, then it's going to ultimately deceive you and it will lead you away. David Foster Wallace said this, he's not a Christian, he's a writer and a thinker. I like the term thinker. I wanna, I, wouldn't that be a great job title? What's, what's Glenn's job? He's a thinker. Well, David Wallace, uh, Foster Wallace, was a writer and a thinker. I think that's awesome. Because there's some, here's something to, else that's true, he said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships The only choice we get is what to worship, and pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. This is a non-Christian who's saying this. If you worship money and things, if they are what you uh, tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and then you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. It's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, students in the room, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on, he said. So he's saying whatever you place your thinking on that will actually ultimately bring you the good life will enslave you. As Paul says, will captive you. You need to make sure that your thinking and your mind are in alignment with the way that you've been created. Otherwise you end up in Monty's bed. So what is the antidote to this war? What is the... What is the weapon at our disposal? What is it that we need to use in order to make sure that we stay in alignment with what we've been created to be? Because we dumb ourselves down by going after things that ultimately will enslave us. You are bigger and better than that. You are more infinite than that. You are more eternal than that. As the Bible says, you've had eternity placed in your heart, so why dumb that down and go after something that ultimately will enslave you? You want more money? All you'll think about is money. You're now a slave. If you just want, if all you think about is your business, if all you think about is your family, if all you think about is anything at all, if that is all you think about, then ultimately you will be enslaved. So, what is the weapon to make sure that we stay the course? Okay, let me explain this statement to you. Group plans, hand to hand combat training for Christians. This was in the paper this week, and I really wish this wasn't true. A group that says its mission is to halt, quote, to halt and push back the forces of darkness is holding a tactical event in southwest Missouri this weekend to train Christians on, quote, hand to hand combat and fighting from your vehicle. Is that like jousting? What are they going to do? Like hang out? Quote, we're a group of Christian men and women that go out and will stand against unrighteousness. Deep breaths said Kevin Van Story, a real estate broker from Neosho and a leader of the Salt and Light Brigade, which is part of the Pass the Salt Ministries, and Missouri-Embattled Warriors. Let me say all that again. He's the leader of the Salt and Light Brigade, part of the Pass Pass the Salt Ministries and Missouri's Embattled Warriors event, which includes Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, and Oklahoma. This will be an intensive study about self-defense, he said. It's about time that Christians started going on the offense, at least stop being always on the defense. It is for Christians, to, uh, Christians willing to learn tactical skills and preparedness skills and fighting skills. He was prodded into activism, he said, because, quote, we had basically four decades of sissified and feminized pastors that have taken the man out of his rightful position as the leader of his family. Whew. Oh, so much I could say. So the answer to our confused world and the answer to unrighteousness is for us to, what was it, hand-to-hand combat and fighting from your vehicle. And we wonder why people look at Christianity, especially evangelical, which is really now a term, by the way, it's not a Bible term, so we probably need to start letting go of that term now, unfortunately. It's really the way that we're actually going to see our culture come to know Jesus by hanging out of our vehicle, fighting with people to bring unrighteous—sorry, uh, righteousness into our culture. Is that our antidote to a world full of lies? Is that our antidote to, to a world that is constantly at war with your thinking? Is that what our children are going to find salvation in? No, because it is thoroughly not what the Bible says. And I'm sure if I had a discussion with this gentleman, he would jump in his car and start fighting me. I don't know. I'd love to have a conversation with that gentleman, but that's the whole of the sermon. What's Paul's antidote? What's Paul's weapon? What's the weapon that Paul is saying that we need to rely on to keep our minds straight and stayed? It's to remember what Jesus did. It's to remember who you are and what your call is. To echo what Paul said, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Christian friends, if we focus our attention on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, if we close in on spending more and more time with our king, our warrior king, as you will see in a minute, but as we focus our attention on him and place him as king of our lives and place him as ultimate in our lives, where everything else comes under alignment under him, where our thinking and our mind goes towards him, where we prioritize him, we worship him, and then we actually make decisions after the fact of that if we do that that is the weapon of our warfare we need to fight for that and friends it really is a fight and if you get up in the morning just thinking that somehow you're going to fall into christianity then you will get drawn away you have to wake up in the morning ready for a fight because there's a whole world stacked against you and your thinking otherwise in 30 40 years time you're going to be sat in monty's bed wondering how you got there See to it, Paul said, that no one takes you captive... How do you see to it? He goes on in, in verse 6 and 7. He says, Just as you received Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. So Christianity is not just one time event that you made a decision to become a Christian at some point in your past. And we praise the Lord for that. But Christianity is about living it out, seeing to it, continuing day to day. Other translations say walk in it. You can't just do Christianity a few minutes in the morning and maybe for some of you not even that and then go into the world expecting your children are going to follow Jesus. You see, we have to fight for it. So, how do we continue? How do we stay rooted and built up in Him? How do we stay strengthened? How do we stay overflowing with thankfulness? Paul, the same writer in Philippians, says this Therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, Christianity is an all and everyday life event. We have to work this out. We have to fight for it. We have to work at it. And it doesn't say you work for your salvation. That's a whole other team. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a whole life thing, which is why Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your wallet, with all your house, with all your car, with all your business, with all your family, with all your activities, with all your leisure. Everything comes under believing and following and living and loving Jesus. Everything. There is no ah, yeah, buts. You can have everything, Lord, but you can't have that. But you see, if you carry on reading that same verse from Paul, therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for you, his good pleasure. So what this verse means is this, is that God gives you, Christian friend, God gives you the desire to seek after the things of God. And he gives you the ability to actually do it. Because if he left us just to work out our salvation by ourselves, then that's just a whole heap of shame and hard work because we'll just continually fail. But he says, look, I've actually initiated the desire to follow me. I've given you that. And I've also given you the ability to do it. And some of you, and I say this maybe prophetically, some of you are miserable right now because you're trying really hard to be a sinner in the world while constantly being drawn towards Jesus because Jesus, thankfully, doesn't give up on us. And so you might be a long, long way from God right now. You might be a long, long way from Jesus, but you're not comfortable in it. Praise God because that's the Spirit of God in you wooing you towards Him again. To ignore that on a daily basis... Is miserable. So he gives us the ability. And he also gives us the desire to follow after him. That's God willing your desire into existence. Our job is to work that out. So how do we do that? And this is where God somehow manages to flip everything upside down. It's not by hanging outside of our cars fighting. It's actually and this isn't my phrase, the upside-down kingdom. You want to go up, you have to go down. You want more of God? You want, to say, you, want to, you want your life to shout out loudly in our culture as to what Jesus has done for you? Then you need to turn to silence and solitude and scripture and prayer. We need to create space in our busy lives for spending time alone with God in silence. So listen to his voice, the voice of the king. Picture it this way, that you have a king like medieval, picture in your mind perhaps. You have a king on his throne with all his regalia and all the court. And you come and you sit, you kneel before him and it's just silence. Because you are in awe of the fact that you're in his presence in the first place. But more than that, he'll actually invite you to stand because you have a right to be in that court because of what Jesus did on the cross. But still, you don't know what to say. That moment of time in our day-to-day lives is where the battle is won. Not when you open your mouth in the coffee shop. That is just part of the war, but the battle is won when you sit in silence and prayerful attitude, reading the scripture, enjoying the presence of the king. That is where he points out those areas of our lives that we need to bring to him and sacrifice to him and seek confession and forgiveness for. That in those moments, if you want to know how to be the best possible parent you can be, it is in those moments when you first wake up in the morning. If you want to be the best possible business person, best possible friend, best possible spouse, the most loving thing you can do for your loved ones in your life is to prioritize that time in the mornings, and I mean in the mornings, with the Lord, placing your attention on him, and oftentimes just breathing in silence and reading his scripture in prayerful attitude. That's where the battle is won. And what is it that gets attacked first? Those moments. Minds are transformed, lives are transformed, lives are changed in those moments. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Notice friends, I am not giving you a list of to-do's. If you want to win the battle of the mind, if you want to stay uh, safe from captivity, if you want to make sure you don't drift into oblivion, then it's not a list of you must do's. It's actually a list of just sit and abide. Look at what Jesus did. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there. He was alone there. He departed and went into a deserted place. See how he withdraws, silence, solitude, scripture... So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. He went up the mountain to pray. He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. He departed to the mountain to pray. It goes on and on and on. Before every major event or decision in Jesus' life, you will find Jesus often spending all night in prayer. I say this as a pastor, and I say it lovingly. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time you dedicated yourself to spending your whole night in prayer because you had an important business meeting that next morning? When was the last time that we spent the whole night in prayer because we knew there was an event that was happening that maybe is an innocuous event, but is an event that actually could potentially change the direction of your life or the lives of those ones in your, in your family? Did we spend hours seeking the Lord in prayer? And we wonder why the church lacks power. There has to be this inhaling of the Spirit of the Lord as we exhale into our culture. There has to be a tide in and a tide out, if you like. There has to be an ebb in and an ebb out as we take in the Spirit of God, as we spend more time with Him, that we could, as Paul says, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection, that we then go out into culture and it flows out from us. We don't have to rely on the latest and the greatest. We just have to rely on the Spirit of God that's in you. I read this this week and, you know, some of you might think this is a little cheesy. I thought it was quite helpful. And, if, I, I, and I'd encourage you to watch this, pause it, write this bit down because this is, uh, this is quite helpful. This one writer suggested that we meditate momentarily, that we take time throughout the day to do this. You can have office hours. And there's some evidence that Paul did this in the New Testament as well. He would pray uh, in accordance with the the Jewish uh, style of praying, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 6 or 3 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon so that you actually have a momentary moment uh, meditation that you divert daily. You focus attention on the Bible or other meditation on a daily basis. You withdraw weekly for an hour or two of silence. Maybe that's you walking Spending time with yourself. Leaving your phone behind. Make a date monthly for a day devoted to God alone. And then finally, abdicate annually. Go to a retreat. Spend some days away listening to the voice of the Lord. Because that is where an army is trained. So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as we have this world that is grabbing us by the arm and saying, let me take, I will take you to a place that will bring you success, will bring you your good life. You say, no, that is not true because I have lived in truth. I know what truth is. I can feel the truth. So therefore, when these things come against us and a Monty is bounding towards us to grab us and take away, we can stand solid because we have a abided in his word. And in those moments of abiding, we know him and we're reminded and we fight. I would love to pull this next section apart, but I I really want to get to this, this kind of ultimate section at the end of the verse. This is what Paul said, For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him. This is who you are, Christian friend, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands. Praise the Lord for that. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, your heart was changed. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's Paul saying, this is who you are. This is what has happened to you. You were dead and now you are alive. And then this next section, the whole of the Bible is summed up in these two verses. And you, you and me were dead You might say, well, hang on a second, I'm pretty sure I'm alive. No, you're you're dead if you don't know Jesus. You are spiritually dead. You are ignoring Jesus Christ as a reality of your life. You are ignoring God and all his truth. You think you are king of your life. You think you're in control. You think you are able to make the right decisions. All this is evidence of the fact that your spirit is dead. And this word dead is not a popular word when you talk about life in our humanistic, focused, secular society. But the reality is that they are walking dead everywhere and you and I know it. That there's just something. The light has gone off. The reality of what life is about has diminished. And you're dead. Dead in what, Paul says? In your trespasses or in your sins. That it's actually the sins that you have omitted. The sins you have committed. The things that you were born into. The things you have willingly done. Those sins in your life and in my life that pull us away from God. That distance us from God. That is what makes you dead. But God made alive together with him. So, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. So God has the ability through Jesus Christ to breathe life into places where there is death. That you who were once dead in your spirit are now alive in Jesus Christ through what Jesus did on the cross by canceling. Sorry, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So this life comes by how? By forgiveness. By forgiveness. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Can I tell you that we, I've said this many times, you don't have to train a kid. Johnny and Brianne, you will not have to train your little one on how to do things wrong. They will naturally and willingly disobey and lie. Lying is the ever present help in the time of trouble. It's just built into us. That I did not have to teach my son, sorry, Jack, to write his name on the wall when he was sixteen. I mean three. It's just built into kids. And so we grow up into this and this outworking of the sin that we just become better at it it doesn't reduce we just become sneakier and quieter and better at it and slowly it kills us and this distancing away from God that God is a God of justice God is a God of, uh, of, of, um, of it has to be ultimately just so if there is something that's been done wrong God has to bring justice to that but Jesus in all his power willingly went to the cross took that punishment on our behalf it died with him our guilt died with him our sin dies with him our shame dies with him the abuse that you have done the abuse that has happened to you dies with him and then he rises again in newness of life in verse 15 it says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him see Adam and Eve right at the beginning in the garden was tempted away from God and through their pride was tempted away from replace God on the throne of their lives with the, th- with the king of themselves. I can do this without God. And then a battle commences in the Bible. It's a battle of good and evil. That's why we resonate so much with these, well I do, with these epic uh, battles on movies. We think they're amazing, but they've just got it from the Bible. This good and evil force coming against each other. The good of God, the evil of Satan, and all his army clashing all the way through the Old Testament. Culminating in the King Jesus coming to earth and continuing the battle. Culminating on the cross. And on the cross there was a battle. The cross was the most shameful way of crucifixion in the time of Rome. It was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. They didn't want to just kill you because they were good at that. They could do it really quickly. They wanted to destroy you and your loved ones by shame. So often they crucified people completely naked. Very rarely they would crucify females, but if they did, they would turn them face into the cross so they wouldn't be able to see the face. It was a despicable, horrible way to die. So much so, they couldn't actually utter the word crucifixion. It was like a swear word in Roman society. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. Because there was no word to describe the amount of pain that you would experience as you slowly hung and died and drowned in the blood of your own lungs. They wanted it to last as long as possible. They didn't want you to die quickly, which is why if you read the account of Jesus dying on the cross, that they ended up putting the spear in his side because they wanted to kill him off at the end. Although he was already dead because Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. When he said, it is finished and not before. It was a disgusting, horrible way to die. Most of the time you would defecate yourself on the cross, the stench. The Romans would put little seats on crosses sometimes to make sure that they didn't die too quickly. So they would perch the body on the cross because they would actually, bizarrely, the people hanging there would try and commit suicide by hanging further onto their arms so they could get it over and done with quickly. But the Romans said, no, we want to make sure that you experience as much shame as possible. And what was common in the Roman times is they would write a list of all the things that this person had done wrong and would post it. Can I tell you, your sin, my sin, the things I have willingly done, knowingly done, listed, cosmically on that cross. And as he said, it is finished. Satan and all his armies thought that he had won. But no. Because as we read here, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Because when he died and rose again, he declared emphatically, I have beaten death. All of Satan's armies, all the evil, and not only that, I have put them to open shame. I have triumphed over them. And if you know your Roman history, a triumph was a celebration where a returning conquering hero would come into uh, Rome. And the whole of the city would be celebrating. And, and they would have the spoils of their war before them. And they would have the captive kings behind them and the generals behind them. Often castrated without their thumbs or without their big toes. Walking Behind this triumph, openly, shamefully exposing the fact that they had lost. So when Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last and he said, It is finished, in all that shame, and why is it so shameful, friends? Because my sin is shameful. My guilt is real. But he died and he rose again and he said, It's finished. No more. He brought triumph flooding into my life. Have you experienced that? That he frees the captives... Because that's what would happen when an army would go and they would fight in the times of the Bible. There would be a clashing of the sword and whoever won would take the spoils of war. The things that have been stolen from you have been taken back by Jesus. Those years that have been stolen have been taken back by Jesus in triumph. And we can rejoice in that. That is who you are. That is what you have experienced when you come to know Jesus. And then the victorious army would often then go into the encampment and release the captives and bring them back into the city. Do you, have you felt that captive? Have you felt that? Where you just feel like stuck? Do you have no way of moving forward? You just feel it might be that everybody thinks you're doing great, but inside you feel dead. Can I tell you, King Jesus is coming for you and he will release you and he will bring triumph into your life. He will bring freedom into your life and say, come be with me in my kingdom. That's freedom. See, we take that into the world having filled our minds and our hearts and our thinking with that each morning. We take that freedom into the world. Then that is the best way of fighting, not hanging out of the side of a car with hand-to-hand combat. In fact, the absolute opposite. This cosmic battle set us free from captivity. I'm a big sports fan. I'm not going to tell you who I support. Don't embarrass you or embarrass me right now. I love rugby. Played a lot of rugby all the way into university. I loved no pads. I don't want pads. because Who needs pads? The smashing together, the battle on the field, it was great. For an angry teenager, it was the best. It was the best. But one thing I did notice is those that weren't participating on the sideline were cheering really loudly. They weren't on the field covered in blood getting sworn at, but they were experiencing and enjoying and participating with the battle. And what is it we say when our team won wins we go we won we won We won the battle. We won the game. We won the war. And so when it happened in in Bible times that a messenger would come back and they would declare the good news, which is where we get our word, the good news from, with the gospel, that the battle has been fought and we have won. And the whole city would erupt because they felt that they had participated in the war in such a way that those that represented them had had won, but now we can enjoy the win. Friends, we can enjoy the win this morning if you believe in Jesus Christ you believe he died on the cross for you you bring you come to him and you ask for forgiveness you seek his face friends I don't care how long you have been away from him maybe you threw a stick in a fire when you were 10 at a bible camp but it's kind of nagging in the back of your brain wondering if there's anything to do with that can I tell you God has invited you to come and enjoy the celebration of the triumph as we come to him and we put aside those things that we believe will actually bring us the good life and celebrate the fact that He has already brought us the good life, then we can enjoy and participate in that celebration. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, the crowd shouted, Crown him, Hosanna, King of Kings, and they they waved palm branches and they put coats on the floor. Do you remember that in the Bible? 3 days later that same crowd was screaming crucify him crucify him crucify him which crowd are you which crowd are you which crowd am i i know with all that i know is that king jesus died for me and i don't understand it that i was captive but now i'm free that no matter what my circumstances are in the day, that I can be sure of my future and the hope that it will bring, that my loved ones are secure because I trust in him who brings them their security. It is not dependent on me or my wealth, good job. Not, on my, not dependent on my intelligence, also good job. But it's dependent on what he has done on that cross. Are you a participant of that? Because friends, if you are not, I plead with you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you can participate. Today is the day where you can stand in the presence of the king triumphant. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And then you live in the kingdom and represent the kingdom because he lives in you. Amen? So as much as that death is horrible, and maybe I should have given you a PG warning, but the Bible says it's shameful and it's offensive because my sin was offensive, but praise be to God that I am now clean and I am pure because when God looks at me, he sees what his son did on the cross and he sees him risen again in newness of life. I want that for you so desperately. So desperately. We're gonna sing. We're gonna pray and invite the team up. I want you to stand. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. As we sing and as we pray, I'm going to ask you to really consider the words that I've shared this morning. And if you don't know him, then I want you to very simply pray the prayer. And by the way, that's not the beginning and end of Christianity. You remember Paul said, as you received him, continue. The as you received him is important. That starts with confession and conversion and often miracle. That's what I'm inviting you to do this morning. For those of you who have never received him, pray the prayer. Come to him. Say, Lord, I am sorry. And I'm not even going to guide you in the prayer because a heartfelt prayer comes literally from the heart. And then I want you to tell us. Maybe you QR code it. You let one of us know. But then it says, as you continue. So I want uh, to speak, just pray for those of you who are struggling to continue right now. That you've received, but the continuing... You need some victory in that. I want to pray for you. You need to sign up for Set Free. It's a great place to work through that as well. Let's pray together, and then we're going to worship. And I've been assured it's a triumphant song. Is that right, Jared? Yeah, it is. So we can make a decision to enjoy the beautiful triumph brought to us by Calvary. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are king, triumphant. And Lord, as much as I want to pray through my whole sermon again, I'm going to resist that. All I'm going to say, Lord, is thank you, thank you, thank you for the victory, the joy, the freedom that you bring and brought on the cross. Thank you, God, that you are alive and you are well and you continue to change and transform lives together. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is as a group and as a church in, in this place and those listening online, Lord, that you would speak and draw them to you. Lord, I pray for those who find themselves in places where they don't belong. God, I pray that you would breathe life and light where there is death and darkness. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, we bring this song to you as a celebration. As a shout of praise, as a sacrifice to our returning hero, Christ the King, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we do that? Can we actually, part of the problem with this room is you see all this baffling, it's like sitting in a cardboard box, and so it's really dead, and I think we should bring life and light into a place that is naturally quiet, so because you've got masks on, which we recommend. You're going to have to sing even louder. And I've heard some of your voices. It ain't pretty, but I don't care. Let's just sing loud. Just imagine that returning king, God, our hero, coming with the good news that is reality. And let's sing. And if you don't know the song, that's fine. Just clap along or stamp your feet, whatever. It'll be good. Amen? Okay, Jared, I've really built this up. Better be good now. eh? Okay.